Welcome to the Artistic Finance Podcast, where we break down the wall between art and money. If you're here looking for how to be an artist and financially sustain a career, you're in the right place. Keep listening and join us as we learn about artists and how they make money work for them. Hello, everyone. This is your host, Ethan Steimel, here for episode 51. Thank you for joining us today, and a special thank you to my Patreon patrons who join us every week. Today's guest is Broadway press agent and producer Irene Gandy. We discuss what a Broadway producer is and does, and find out the difference between a lead producer, associate producer, co-producer, and investor. Some notable accomplishments of Irene's career. She is the only black female member of the Association of Theatrical Press Agents and Managers on Broadway. She is a Tony Award-winning producer. She has worked on more than a hundred Broadway shows. She produced Lady Day at Emerson Bar and Grill starring Audra McDonald. And in 2008, she became the first female press agent to get a Sardis caricature. And on top of this all, she launched the Irene Gandy Fur Collection, which was featured in Vogue magazine. For a full bio, visit our show notes or website, artisticfinance.com. Before we get to the interview, a reminder that the Artistic Finance 6K, our live episode, will be airing May 5th, 8 p.m. Eastern Time. We'll be investing $6,000 of real money. If you want to participate or help fund some of this $6,000, become a patron of the show. That will give you access to our poll to decide what investments we will be purchasing, and you can suggest new ones if you don't like any of my choices. If you become a patron by May 5th, you can join at the $3 level before it goes away, and that gets you access to a podcast feed with early releases and extended interviews. And remember, on May 5th, we are slowing down the podcast to release every other week. But if we get 50 patrons by May 5th, I will continue to release weekly interviews. On this week's patron episode, we discuss accredited versus sophisticated investors and learn that Irene was knighted and is now Lady Irene Gandy. If you would be so kind as to support the show, do that at patreon.com artisticfinance. And to find out more details about our $6,000 investment live broadcast, listen to our bonus episode where we supply all those details. The information is also available on our website, artisticfinance.com, where you can also find links to everything Irene and I talk about today. Without further ado, let's get to our interview. Welcome, Lady Irene Gandy, to the podcast. That is correct. I have my kingdom. <laughs> Broadway is not just my kingdom now. I'm all over the world. We are recording this on April 8th, 2021. So we are amidst a COVID-19 pandemic, and we're also amidst a Black Lives Matter slow burn in the United States and across the world, and recently stop Asian hate attacks on Asian Americans. And so that's also happening right now. Also, trans lives matter. There's, you know, trans, that's very important as well. We're all in the same boat. Diversity is one, uh, as an African-American for people who can't see me, diversity, it should be, diversity should be diverse. It should not be one and other. The only thing that I say about diversity is that it should be addressed is the, uh, is the level of the playing field. Everybody gets to see everybody's side whether it's trans, African-American, Asian, because I grew up, um, there was only one color in my house. My dad said it was green, because if you have enough money to do what you have to do, but if you have the money and you still can't get into the rooms, get the jobs, 
or the ho- or the hotels or the schools. That's where diversity needs. That's in my opinion. That's how it begins at first. And also on the, on the other side, it can't be all black. It can't be all trans. It can't be all, it, it has to be, everybody needs to be heard fairly. And with that, let's talk about me. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So Irene, tell us about yourself, what you've done and, and where you are now in your life. I started in the business, uh, in the Broadway, in the theater business at 1968, um, uh, with Douglas Turner Award, who recently passed, who formed the Negro Ensemble Company, um, which was a company uh, founded by him, Douglas him Douglas Turner Award, Jerry Crone, and Robert Hooks, the actor. And uh, he wrote a. Um, it was founded from a grant by the New York uh, by the Miller Foundation, and he wrote uh, a letter to the Times that he wanted to see um, more black actors on Broadway, but they needed he needed a training ground. And so just like the Stella Adler School and, and all the other schools, Doug had the first um, Negro Ensemble Company. They met seven days a week. There were 12 resident actors and they studied seven days a week. They studied to craft. Uh, he also, they had, he had uh, uh, musicians like Harold Wheeler started NEC and he had um, set designers and costume designers. And of course, uh, people in the in the, in the uh, management side, like a press agent and a company manager um, and a general manager. So you could have access to the unions and stuff. And the thing about um, the Negro Ensemble Company was on a special lot contract so that you were able to train, you were able to get your SAG card or your equity card or your press agent's card or get into the, because you were constantly working. And so I, that's, that's how I started. Um, I uh, did not any, know anything about the theater uh, at all. I mean, I do knew about the theater. Um, I, I, I'm in the, I grew up in, I grew up in Westbury, Long Island, but I went to NYU in 1961 and I sat up, settled in the village, uh, Greenwich Village for those around the world, which is like the hotspot jazz, everything. But I only stayed in school six weeks because I was because I had never been out of. I had very strict parents; they were forty years old. Had to have me, so I went buck wild. So I stayed six weeks, and uh, I just lived on the lived just lived. We all lived on the streets, not like on the streets now, but you know we had a great time. And then I um, went to acting school. I never forget you. Um, I went to acting one acting class I took, and then I met this guy who introduced me to casting agent. And so the next thing I knew, I was in this movie called A Man Called Adam. Like this acting isn't so hard. I went one class and I was already extra. <laughs> so fast forward, um, I went uh, fast forward to uh, meeting the NEC. I had I decided at twenty one I was going to go. I was going to be a go go. I was going to go. A go to go go with the go a go go dancer in the black lodges at the Casco's, and because I needed money, me and my 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 roommate we had done the village at eighteen to twenty one. We were going to leave, and then when I went there, I met my husband, yeah. who's not was wasn't my husband then. And then I had Myra, so I came back. But to make a long story short, one of my neighbors he wrote there was a place called the Electric Circus way before the Studio Fifty Four. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were like the really big disco for the East Side. And then he wrote children's stories, children's plays for the matinees. 
or stay home with them for the matinees. And his owl, his owl was missing. So he came down to me and he said, oh, I understand you have acting experience. Could you come play the owl? I said, oh, yeah, of course. I was two years. My daughter was two years. We went over there. And I ran into one of the guys I graduated from high school with who uh, his lover at the time was the general manager of Electric Circus. And we, we caught up and he said, oh, I'm working for the Negro Ensemble Company. We started this company. He told me about it. He said, but no one wants to be a press agent, no person of color. And he said, I'm at, I'm at my wit's end because you know, we got this money. We want to train people of color, but nobody wants to be a press agent. Because it's a time in the 70s and 60s, black exploitation films, everyone wants to be actor, you know. Mm -hmm. And I said, oh, I'll go up to save your face. I mean, this is how it really happened. I'll say, I'll go up. I'm, I don't know anything about it, but you know, if you have to hire a white person, I'll go up first. And then if, at least you tried, at least you just the last day. So I went up and as you know, Ethan, if you don't, the best thing about nothing, knowing nothing is the best thing about knowing nothing. And I still know nothing, which has kept me alive for seven. So I went up and I, I um, and the press agent, was in the Sardis building, which is so ironic. Mm -hmm. um, and because I still sleep in frequent Sardis a lot. And uh, I went up and I just kept interviewing the guy, Howard Atley at the time, because he had the count. And it was such an interview. And I, when I left, I said, you know, thank you. Because the only thing I knew about a press agent was Mae West, my press agent. You know, I'm, I'm an old movie buff. My press agent kidnapped me. And so anyway, and you interviewed, blah, blah, blah. And the rest is history. Okay. So that's how I got into the business. But when I got there, unfortunately, Howard's roommate um, died three days later and he went on a binge and I was there and left an office by myself. And the only thing he said to me, get this story, get this released to the New York Times, get it to Sidepack. Now you don't know anything. I go over to the New York Times. It's in the middle of the 60s where the hookers are. I'm in the middle of my mod squad outfit. So I had a pink, I, what I, had, I had a pink, I'll never get, I had pink hot pants, pink suede hot pants with a, uh, I was really dressed, you know, I'm always dressed, with a uh, brown suede pockets, brown suede go-go boots. Yeah. I mean, really. And so I go up to the third floor and I'm looking for Sidepack. And the guys and the guard says, oh, just leave it for me. And I'm like, no, I have to give to side. I have to give this to Sidepack. I have to give this to Sidepack. Okay. And he said, well, you can't go. You'll just have to. I waited an hour and a half, Ethan. Finally, it was a deadline day. Mr. Peck came out. And for, um, for those who don't know, New York Times, if you're not in the New York Times in the theater production, it, I hate to say this, but that's what it's credibility and in, in the terms of theater, not so much now yeah. with so, social yeah. media, but still that's what. And so Mr. Peck came out and he was like the vice, he's an editor of the Sunday section of the theater section, Arts of Leisure. And he said, who was this causing me all this trouble? And I said to him, <laughs> who are you that I have to wait for an hour and a half? And that's when I, and that was my love affair of the press beca became. And since then, I've been a press agent, producer, and uh, community outreach for over 50 years. Wow, that's a succinct abbreviation for everything you've <laughs> done. That's amazing. So I, I, I feel like we've touched on a lot of this already, but could you describe your demographics for us? Okay, well, first of all, I'm a woman. I'm African-American. I'll be 78. My demographic is green and fashion, 
as you can see, I'm wearing a Louis Vuitton dress and, and Chanel earrings. My demographic is two things. People I work for in the check clears, and I never, ever decide what people should see. I never uh, say, well, this group of people needs to see this. I never talk down to people because and, and, maybe they not want me. Because my daughter, I have a daughter, Myra Gandhi, who is an artist. If she wants to see Hamilton, she never said, oh, I have to see a Lion King. You know, she grew up seeing whatever she wants. And if it's good, it's good. So I never, my demographic is to educate, not to dictate. Yeah. Your creative personality. What is a live event that you like to experience as an audience member? I have to say, and I, I didn't think I would say theater. I, before this pandemic, I was, I don't want to go to theater. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing this. I love theater. I love, uh, I love to see, I get to a wonderful experience of getting to see the show from the beginning to the end and getting from the reading and getting to see the audiences every night react. I, and I love to see people around me. I like that. And I also like to see um, the live event. Well, yeah, I haven't seen it, but live, I like music. I like jazz. I like jazz or I like uh, just people singing on the streets because I'm in the village or, and I pop in and out of little things. And I like that. Yeah. And I like poetry. I like sometimes I don't know what I like and I just pass something and I like it. Do you like poetry reading or people speaking poetry or do you like reading it? No, I like po people speaking of poetry because I remember I come to the village with the with the poets and the Nikki Giovannis and and the, and the, oh, the, oh, really wonderful poets. Uh, white and black so yeah and we were all in washington square park and we had the coffee houses and i was really the beatnik someone uh, my partner called me a beatnik the other day it was like oh yeah i guess i'm a beatnik a hippie a hippie beat what is a piece of art that you like well i have to say i do not know much about art and my daughter's an artist and i only like her artwork i like her artwork i like um I don't like Picasso because I don't understand that. I like things with colors. As an African-American artist, I like um, Romar Beaton. I only like the art makes me feel good because I'm not that kind of person that's like, oh, I'm an artist. Because even when my, my daughter's name is Myra, when she started art, when I gave art shows for her, I'm not giving, you know, finance. I'm not giving, I would say, after you have the cheese and the wine, what the fuck are you going to do, you know? <laughs> when, when I did a first art show at Beastmas Restaurant, which is in New York, that was... I was like, oh my God, what do you do after look at the art? So the next art show we had at a disco. So I made Art Goes Disco. So people looked at the art, then they could dance. Then I had Art Goes Jazz. And then people can have with jazz music. Then I had Art Art Takes the Runway. And amazing, back in the 1990, we had the art show. And Myra, my daughter, did she, she does Faces of Women. And she had all the trans women in 1990 be the faces being the living so we did art, art the runways, and then I saw a real good exhibit. My where one of my friends, Tony Waterman, choreographer George Faison, he did a show at the MoMA. The dancers came out of the paintings; they came to life. So I think I like things like that because for me, to just to sit around looking at something I don't see and, and looking at people drinking bad wine and paint plastic cups, I'm not that girl. Okay, I'm a lady. I read. Okay, this is so <laughs> funny because if if somebody invites me to go see their exhibit. I much prefer to not go to the opening and just go 
and go on my own and look at the art. I hate going to the opening. Oh. Like, I don't like the event part of it. Oh, it's awful. And that's, that's the great thing I love about the pandemic. Ethan. We don't have to go to this stuff. You know what I mean? I love it. I love that. I can, and we don't have to be, you know, oh, my God. I love this so much. Oh, my God. <laughs> on to your financial personality. Are you bad or good with money? Oh, so bad. So bad. So bad because I'll tell you why. Because my family was so good with money. I mean, there was a Christmas club, there was an SNH Greenstand club. Um, my father, there was a, I mean, they were so good with money. I mean, it was like, and I, I just came out of the culture because you know, you have to. My dad used to keep a thousand dollars in the basement in case you have to run away. I'm getting better, I'm better now, but you can't take it with you, you know. And I think also, too, um. In the early days, when I first started in Negro Ensemble Company, you know, there was always board of directors, and and um, and 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 I, I got to see how the wealthy people lived who never carried money, and I and I found out if you're white, not white, I mean wasp white, wealthy, because there's a difference between being rich and wealthy, and you have the name the Kennedys or the Carnegies going to Mellon Jazz behind you, you know, you really never make it in, in everything you have gone with. You don't, and you're a man male white male you never really make it in the business till you're 40 and i happened to work on one of the kennedy's um i, I, I did some community outreach and i got to really see how people live all of the schooling in the world all of the what all of the stuff it wouldn't take you to where where you think you're gonna go you know what i mean again it's about diversity you can work hard but if you don't have access to certain things you, you're just like a, a many of the world like what the fuck you know I learned I was with uh, one of the late Kennedys who I'm not mentioned. I remember going into Cartier's with them, one of them. The salespeople just gave the jewelry. I'm like, don't you have to pay for it? No, they never had to pay for it. They never, I'm not just saying that. I mean, not just them. I mean, what have I experienced? You could always sign a check. If you, what you need to know, Ethan, if you go into a major restaurant, really nice restaurant, and that's high class, you can always sign a check. And they would never question you because they don't know if you have a house account. So those are the things I learned, which I said, oh, shit. I'm like, just do what I got to do. I'm thinking about putting this to a test and going to a really nice restaurant and <laughs> signing. Yeah, you can. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe I'll do a little research and find out where some wealthy people have their accounts. <laughs> I, you know, I have a house accounts all over and I'm not wealthy. Privileges is called privilege. The privilege, and maybe that's the word I need to use. So now I'm going to shift us into the Broadway producers versus investors discussion. <laughs> I think you're perfect to have this conversation because you've done a lot. Actor. And, and I have to say, I work with Jeffrey Richards for over four, four decades. We've been together like 37 years. And he was a press agent first. And he's now one of the most prolific producers. He's, you know, he's, he has like, we have Tony Awards in every, everything. You know, from Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, from we have Tony Wins and every genre and every genre musical. Yeah. Yesterday I saw the cover of the Hollywood Reporter. Oh, about Scott. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I love Scott. I love Scott Rude. You know, you have to accept people for who they are. But if you feel that way, but the fact that a big time producer can let you go into an office and learn from him. All of those people that had he they're talking that have spoke out of him, they all have great jobs. Think about that, Ethan. I read it this morning. I'm like, yeah, but where are you now? You're not in the street. You're heading this one. And that's how you learn. Because that's how we learn. When I started being a PR person, show started at 8.30. That's how long ago. You had to like hand deliver the press releases. There was no internet. We had a memory graph machine. If it was raining, you had to 
take the umbrella out and pay cabs for the critics so they could get back and write their feed. I, I just think that, you know, okay, then leave. And, you know, I mean, yeah, it's so what? Yeah, I mean, this is a business. It's called show business, not show play. But I mean, I'm a fan of Scott Rudens. I'm sorry. And I know I'm a fan of anybody that's honest and real and authentic. You know, people don't like me because of my, the way I talk. The people don't like me saying there's only one color, there's no black Broadway. But that's who I am and I stand by it. I love that because another thing is Elon Musk over at Tesla, he gets all this grief for all these things he says. Yeah. And it's like he has done more for renewable energy. Right. He has given to more to charity yes. than I will ever even dream of doing. What he also has done, the people that has worked under him have been gone on because once you say you work for us or you have work with Scott Rudin or Elon Musk or anybody else that people are complaining about, because you're going to have contacts that you will never get to. Because if you can say, oh, I used to, I used to work with Scott Rudin. Or, oh, remember me, I worked with Scott Rudin, blah, 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 blah. Or remember, yeah. I mean, it's, it's going to open doors. I mean, it's a name. That's, right. You see what I'm saying? So what is the difference between a producer and an investor? And specifically on Broadway is what I'm talking about. Okay, yeah, that's all I do. Um, well, here's the thing. The role of the producer, I have to say this gingerly, the role of the producer from the time I've come to now, the producer is the person who has the money, who takes responsibility for the whole money. An investor is a person who invests in the show and they don't like to be called investors anymore. They like to be called producers, but in fact, they really are investors. They invest their money in the show. But if the show closes, are they willing to pay for the bond and everything else? Because the producer and for the union, we have to pay a bond. In case the show closes, we have to pay a bond we have to hold, uh, you have to have all that money. You have to be responsible for all the actors. All the, you know, so that's the role of the producer. That's the lead producer. And I answered your question. Just because I don't know about the bond. I mean, I understand the concept of the bond, but can you just explain that a little bit? Yeah, everybody on Broadway have to be in a union. And because shows can open, you can work in a show for five years and come to Broadway, close in one night. And so in order to protect the actors and the stagehand unions and everybody else, you have to put up a hundreds of thousands of dollars of bond to secure what the finance of the show is. You have to put up like, I think a 20% or I might be wrong, a large percentage of the show's budget. If the show was, uh, is budgeted at $4 million, $4 million, you have to put up the bond close to that. You know what I mean? For the weekly expenses. Yeah. And, and the bond is, so if, if the show closes, everybody still gets paid out for four weeks or something like that? Yeah, it covers the two weeks, yeah, two weeks before whatever, yeah, yeah. That's the role of producer. And the role of investor, you know, you invest in the production and you get paid, you know, and you get your money, you know, that's what that is. Yeah, I thought producers didn't necessarily have to bring money to the table. Is that true or is that not true? Do, do they all bring in money? Let's just put it this way. If you, it's like that beautiful shirt you're wearing. If you see it out of the uh, the store window, you go into the to store and say, oh, I would like that shirt. I'm going to wear this shirt. I'm going to take this shirt out and, and, and present it to on my show, artistic finance. But I don't need to pay you. You know what I mean? The, the people in the window says, no, you got to pay me. You can keep whatever you make from the shirt, but that, that comes out first. So you cannot produce anything without money. 
on Broadway, the lead producer, you have to have the money. And sometimes you have the money and you have to have the contacts because there's only a couple of houses on Broadway. So the producer brings that. They bring the money, the relationship they have with the Schuberts, the Needlelanders or whatever. They bring the relationship with the agents, with the directors and stuff like that, the playwrights, because you can't reproduce anything without a playwright. Um, Okay, so to follow up a little bit with how you're saying investors like to be called producers. That's me. That's my personal. Because because in the old days, you you know, it was like, taboos as you invested in whatever show. But I think, um, and we need their money. So they'd like to be called producers and they are producers. They're investing producers. They invested the show and they get a producer credit. So that's what I was going to ask about is because on, on a board, you have lead producers. Yeah. You have the four lead producers. They are responsible for the upkeep of the show. If, if the show closes, they have to assume all the losses. That's the difference. That's the lead producers. Okay, so then there's associate producers sometimes. What are those? Those are associate pro- Well, then there's, this, there's to get your name on that that line, you have to invest at least $250,000. You can, you know, bring other people in it and have one name. Like if somebody, went, oh, I want a producer, like Ethan, I want a producer. I said, oh, Ethan, if you can get together 10 people, you can come in under me. You'll still get, and, and, and then anyone who's listening there, they're really, they can say I'm wrong or they can have other ideas, but I'm just talking about how we work in my office. Is that for plays and musicals that to be an associate producer, you, you need to get 250000 Well, that's what we use. Yeah. And no, it depends on the plays and the musical. I mean, I think, but we usually have a starting rate of 250. And it may be more now since the pandemic, but it, it depends on the plays. It depends on the budget. You know, because not everything has to have a budget. Like when people say, oh, you know, I love this play. I'm like, you know, how many characters? What is your budget? Even if, you know, you have to think, you have to have a, a budget of a play, you know. So that's where the general comes in, yeah. Okay, so then there's also co-producers. And what are they? Yeah, they may bring uh, something to the table. They may bring like maybe $25,000 or or they may have, uh, you know, some other end kind stuff. They may, you know, have other stuff that they may bring. But again, it depends on the discretion of the producer. And it depends on how much money you need at that time. Because sometimes you can have a million, you may need a million dollars for the show. I'm just putting out, you'll be just shy of that $10,000 and somebody will come along and that'll make or break your show, you know. All this is, this is not kind of not written. It depends on, it depends. I'm going to just try to summarize it just so I sort of understand the structure and and correct me if if I'm wrong. So at the bottom of the producer totem pole (laughs) is the co-producers who could bring 25,000-ish maybe and or some other assets. Yeah, I'm just I'm I'm just throwing out $25,000 because that's usually, you know, the lowest. Yeah. And then if you move up bringing more money, you're an associate producer. Yes. And then if you bring any more than that, you can be a lead producer. But you also have to sort of be involved. You can't be a lead. Yeah, you can't. You're not going to be lead lead, but you can be on that line. Okay. Yeah, you could be a lead producer. It depends. It depends. And it depends on relationships as well. And is there only four lead producers for every show? Yeah, because it's attorney general. I think it's something about the attorney general. You only can have four lead producers and then the other producers on the line. Of the four lead producers, say it was Scott Rudin and three others, he might be the real lead producer who's calling all the shots. Right. The other three have just brought amounts of money or a lot of people. with. Yes, thank you. Yes, he's a real lead producer. And they have relationships with with Scott or Jeffrey. You know what I mean? 
they produced before with them, you know, and you can count on their money. Because the one thing that people, and I think that I'm going to jump this, I'm going to jump from discussion. This is a racket, not, I mean, this is a crapshoot producing. You got to know how to lose money. If you're not able to lose money, you can't, you can't be in this business because you're dependent on the whims of, you know, you never know what's going to work. You think you know it's going to work. Uh, sometimes even a name who's just come off of series or because Broadway is very different. Theater people are very, very selective. You don't see a lot of people coming to Broadway. I mean, you see Drew Roberts never again. You saw Bruce Willis never again. You saw Madonna never again. Elizabeth Taylor, you didn't see her until way back when. So, I mean, you don't like really see because we're, we're snobs about actors and directors who won't work with a lot of people. So we have the lead producers who are, I'm just going to call the real producers. So we have the producers. How are they different from the GM and or the director? Because the director and GM do a lot for a show too, yeah? Well, the thing is, the lead producer is always, is think he's the boss. He's the one that pays everybody. That's the difference. He's the one that if you don't like something, if you want to go, go. Or take over the finances of the show. The, the GM is very important. The GM keeps you on the budget of the show. And they budget out the show for you. They keep you on a budget. What you pay the stagehands, the, the actors, they are the liaison between the producers and the actors. The director is the creative part of this. Of, of the, take him out of the producing. He's on the creative side. Normally, if a producer has a good relationship with a playwright, like we work with David Mammoth a lot. He's, he's a playwright, but also he likes, we have directors that we work with a lot. It's hard to explain because it's all about relationships. It's really all about relationships. And this is why I, I kind of think it's really hard. The theater is like not as diverse as we like it. Theater is a, the Broadway is a whole club under its own. It's the tried and true. Nobody wants to branch out. If they did, we weren't concerned about the New York Times review. You can get a whole bunch of great reviews, but if the Times is not, ah, ah you know what I mean? So it's all about tradition. Maybe that's the word I'm using. It's tradition. Tradition. <laughs> so I have this question, but now I don't even know if this is a good question, which is, how can I become a Broadway producer? I wouldn't suggest it. I tell everybody, say out of the arts. The first question I would ask you, and I'm, I'm turning the tables on you, but why do people want to be a Broadway producer? Do you want to see, because the producer, you think it's like the old movies, I'm a producer, because what happens is when we go into the advertising rooms, we have like all these producers say, well, I'm the producer, but you're really not doing eight performances a week. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, so if you really want to come with Broadway producer, I think that, you know, you just have to, I don't know how you do that. I really don't, you know, I really don't. I have to be honest. How do you become a skater? Would you ask a, a basketball player, how do I become NBM player or... I don't know. Let's do it. Learn it. Learn, learn it. it. Learn it. So for example, for me, I would say, well, I have, I know a bunch of playwrights, right? And some of their shows I really like, and I would love for them to get to Broadway. How do I do that? You would call me. You would call me and say, look, Irene, that's what you do. Again, you call the people and say, look, you have a relationship with me now. And because you have to know somebody, it's all about knowing somebody. The world doesn't change. You got to know somebody to know somebody. Even when you're paying your cable bill, you know, if you have your cable bill and you're late and you have a relationship with LaShonda 
there's a Lashonda to get over a girl. I got you. And then all Lashonda leaves and gets, gets married. And then uh, Christina comes and says, where's Lashonda? Lashonda's gone. You don't say, oh, I'm sorry to go on, Lashonda. You try to make that relationship with Christina. So when you have the capability, you say, okay, Christina, I got you. You know what I'm saying? So again, it, that, that's what it's about. And and now all my playwright, any playwright who listens to this <laughs> is going to email me and say, hey, can you get this diary? <laughs> Yes. No, I mean, I think that's, I think that's what we, I think that's what we have. That's what I love about Jeffrey Richards. We do, you know, like he really encourages new playwrights. Like we had, um, we have a great enchanted April and a young, a lot of new playwrights. And, and now with Broadway's best shows, he's, he's not just sitting there waiting for Broadway to open, but he has virtual Broadway shows that, you know, that he's doing things with, uh, Pearl Clegg and stuff, you know, you've seen that because if you're really about the art and of course there's no art without the finance, but it has to be a passion from here. You know what I mean? So yes, by all means, because you just can't say, here's the thing. I, I do encourage people don't have the answer before the question. Don't have the solution before the problem, because what people do, they get stuck. They say, oh, I have this play. Well, they'll never read it. They'll never see it. And they just think, just stop. And how do you know that? You haven't even sent it. Everyone's looking for something, you know, new or people don't know what they're looking for. It's like auditions. You go, they think they want one thing. You don't know what you're looking for. I have a fur coat business, you know, I have a fur collection and people say, oh, I want this coat. And my, but I said, come down, come down and see, because you really don't know what you want and what you thought you would you, you want. And they said, oh, I, you know, and that's how I approach things. Like, I really didn't want to do this. I was like, I didn't want to do this with you, Ethan. Because I don't like to do interviews, but I'm like, why am I having to, because it's because it's going to cost me this, I'm going to do that. I'm like, you're doing, you're not you're using your own advice. And how lucky I am to do this. I'm so honored. Because look what I'm learning. I'm hearing myself realize how much I know, you know? So that's what I'm saying. So just do it. And and I think that touches on what you said earlier, which is it's a beautiful thing to not know what you don't know. Right, right. Because you're saying, well, I don't know how to tell you to become a producer. You don't know where to apply pressure. Like you can try to do it the way somebody else did yeah. it. Yeah. Applying the pressure where they applied might not work for your situation. It's like when I was coming up, my mom's trying to teach me how to iron a shirt. I don't iron to this day. And she was like, I don't know. That, no. And then my dad came in and says, is the shirt iron? She said, yeah, she said, but and he said, just because she didn't iron the way you iron it, the bottom line, the shirt is still ironed. It doesn't have to be the way you do it. You know, like, I love what you said, because the pressure, we're not curing cancer here or COVID. We're just expressing our feelings, because I'll tell you, there's always going to be one person who's going to like your work, and that's going to be you. And don't let, you can't be validated by it. You can't let that stop. Here's, here's a question. Here's a question for you that. <laughs> if I don't have much money at all, how can I become a producer? I think before you work work about much money, I think you have to know what are you presenting? What are you producing? See, already you're putting the cart before a horse. It's not the money. It's like we have house seats for people who don't know. I'll, I'll use Hamilton. Hamilton has house seats. You know, it's a sold out show. We all don't sell everybody just because they have the money. You know what I mean? So you have to, the product, if you're presenting a product only for money, then you're you're not in the. That's not why you should produce it. So I can't. I have no answer to that. I, I read something that said, when you have a dream, God doesn't have a a budget for your dream, but you have your faith. You know what I mean? So don't put a budget on your dream. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. 
but but really don't ever put a budget on your dream and i will say i I feel like we've established this that it's not necessarily about the money because somebody told me once they say well financially a producer is sort of looking to do nine shows that are going to fail but then that one that succeeds to sort of pay for the nine failures here's the thing we know it's a crapshoot if you produce from your heart you never fail it's never failure just people didn't want to see it but it doesn't because the playwright is i mean it still has life it is still like that's why these revivals keep going on people escapes oh nobody wants to see um who's afraid of virginia with for the tenth time yeah yeah they do (laughs) (laughs) nobody wants to see the glass for for the tenth time with the yeah they do and nobody wants to see hamilton yeah they do it's like someone says, oh, someone says, oh, Irene, you're a celebrity. I didn't realize that I was a celebrity. Either. I didn't realize it because fans make celebrities. People, make, we don't say, I can say, oh, I'm a celebrity. Someone had to tell me that or like things. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to just go off script for a minute because I think this pandemic has showed us how we in the community, theater community, have just ignored our New York theater community because we're always depending on people coming from the Thanksgiving shows for the for the out of towners. And we've lost, we have not seen our own children. We've treated our our children in the theater community like skeptic children. So I'm kind of glad that because we're all coming together. We all are in theater because we wanted to do something because they get off the bus or they get off the thing because, you know, I'm sure you was had every lead in your little high school play or your college play. So, oh, said, you need to go to New York. And then you go into audition and you see 100 people who 85% are excellent, 5% are good, and other percent you could use them. And you say, oh, I don't want to do this. So, well, maybe I'll do a company manager. Maybe I'll be a waiter or maybe not a waiter, but, you know, maybe I'll be a stage manager. So you have to, you know, so that's because we all come, we all come with a passion for this. So that's, that's what I have to say. That's, if you want to be produced, you want to produce something that you can share with the rest of the world. Here's an easier question. If I want to become an investor, how can I do that? Oh yeah, I got that for you. <laughs> Call me. Call me. And okay. also, you know, there's a, if you want to get an investor, find a project, product, product that you you but you can't you have to find a product that maybe that you uh, maybe have discovered yourself or maybe you want to to call someone like me offline and say would you give me an introduction to Jeffrey or Jeffrey Richards or something you know it's like that you know so because I do that all the time I I say oh somebody wants to invest I call Jeffrey or we'll call somebody you know what I'm saying also do not give up calling Cole. I call Cole all the time. If you see somebody like, if you want to talk to Scott Brewer call his office or say, yo, email, don't say they're not going to get it. Or everybody's on Instagram, but send a message, say, you know what? I'm, when producers hear the word invest, trust me, they'll return your call. <laughs> no, noted. <laughs> or if you want to talk to Lynn Mariello or, or, or people that you've seen that you want to follow, just say, you know, I really want to invest in your next project. But in order to find out about projects, is it like I find out about a project I'm really interested in or do I sort of reach out to producers and say, hey, do you have any projects that might interest me? Well, I think that depends on you. I can't answer that for you. That's, that's a personal thing. 
you have to see what projects you, you do want to be musical. You have to look at what things you admire in the theater. Me looking online, I've been looking online, I've learned about looking on by dresses. What, you know, when I reach, I, you know, I don't know. I have a certain style that suits me. You know, it's nothing random because it's very personal. When you're investing in a play in people's lives and your career, it's, it's not like investing in stocks where it's so impersonal. This is a very personal thing, theater, because it's live. Okay, so we're running out of time, so I'm going to skip the next few questions, and I'm going to head to the wrap-up. What financial advice would you give yourself back when you started your career, or would you give somebody else that's starting out right now? If you would have asked this question a couple of years ago, before we were in a pandemic, I would have had a different answer. But we're all in the same boat now. It goes back to you can't take with with you in a, on a yacht or a raft. You have to prepare, but nothing is promised. I mean, I know it sounds like crazy, but here's the thing, doing theater, any creative theater stuff, we never have a real job. I've been a 50-year temporary worker. Sometimes if you make $5,000 a month or $50,000 a month, try to stay in your budget. If you're in the theater world or creative world, um, try to get an apartment and stay there. I've been in my apartment 45 years. You know, I have another apartment when the neighborhood was changing up in Harlem. Even 45 years ago, they might change management. You know, so I would say live in the lifestyle that that you are accustomed to, but not that you become accustomed to. You know what I mean? So, I mean, does that make sense? Yeah, lifestyle creep. Avoid it. (laughs) Yes. Right. Because my life has not changed. I'm still in part, you know, I'm still getting my nail. I mean, my, my life has not changed. And also I'm in a union you know, I have my social security. So invest in things like that, have a savings account and just invest for all age because there's nothing, nothing is promised to you. And I think we as theater people, we're handling this pandemic a lot better than most people have worked and have real jobs, I call them, because we're used to huffing it and hustling. Never use a hustle. And don't be afraid. Like I remember one time, Jeffrey and I, we were down to two shows about 10 years ago. And my friend that owned Mickey Mantles, which is now, not, he said he was looking for hostesses and I was a hostess. You know, I would, I didn't care. I was a hostess by day, president by day, hostess by night. Just recently, a couple of years ago, I had a Monday night at uh, Bond 45 hosted by Frank, Frank Adola. Not karaoke, I had real singers because I don't like people who can't sing. Well, you know, I was hosting that. So always stay in your hustle and, and don't expect anybody to do anything for you. And, and don't be afraid to ask for help. Say, I need, I need, I need, I need. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think that's the best financial advice I can give. And you can't take it with you, you know? And have relationships so you can eat free in restaurants. No, no, no. Laughing, but, you know, maybe. (laughs) Yeah, right, yeah, yeah. Is there a book or any sort of resource that has helped you with producing or has helped you with your finances? No, no, absolutely not. Because when you deal with people, you've depended on the kinds of strangers, which they're all kind of strangers, eight performers a week. You just don't know, you know, and you don't know until you're in it. I, you know, I think I, I know in our, in our work, in our office, if anybody comes and wants to be a journalist or want to be a press agent and they have all the schooling, I'm going to ask you this question because I'm sure you had a lot of schooling and I'm going to see why there's no book. What are your strengths, Ethan? What do you think your, your strong points are? I get along with people and I don't judge people. Okay, that's good. So what are your weaknesses? Uh, you see, yeah, that's why you wouldn't be hot. Yeah. 
But I'm just saying, I mean, you, I, I mean, that was just, just so that's why I said there's no book. Here's a, here's a typical example. Me, I have been a press agent for 50 years. I do not know how to write a press release, but I do know how to get the stuff placed. I know my weaknesses. I tell everybody, you want to hire me? Write on a press release. But I can promise you, I can get you in the Franklin Delos show. I could get, you know, I, that I can do. There, and there's no book that teaches you that. Yeah, I, 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 I really like that. Uh, <laughs> well, because because that's something even with this podcast is that I'm learning. It's like if I'm not good at a certain part of it, like don't don't do that. Right. Focus on the parts that I, I can do. Yes. Try to get help with the rest of it. Right. Right. What can you and I do to stress the importance of finance and savings to other artists? Like my daughter, my daughter, I have to use my daughter for typical example. She would not, she loves a job. And now, you know, but I would tell her, you either have to go do your art all the way or have a job all the way. You can't do it both. If you're in this arts, you have to go all the way. You can't do it. I mean, don't get me wrong. Finance is important, but you have to, at some point, realize you have to go all in. Because while you're working on your eight hour a day job, and you try to play, somebody might be calling you to have an audition or to talk or have a meeting. So you have, and you might be missing opportunities. You have to decide, you have to hustle. So I, I don't, I don't know. I, I can't, I, honestly, I'm just saying that I'm not, I don't want anybody to tell your mother that Irene said, oh, Irene said, you know, somebody's living in, in a, in an outer skirts of the United States or in the bush or wherever. So, oh, I read, oh, the Petonia Warburton producer said, oh, I don't just, I don't need to work, mom. I just need to go out and hustle. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> you can't play safe. You know what I'm saying? And you can put it in my words, but that's what it is. Yeah. Okay. I feel like you actually might've just touched on this. So maybe you don't have an answer to this because this it's a complicated one, which is what separates those that have a full-time career in the arts versus those that never get started or do it for a while and then transition to something else? Well, you said it. There's no full-time position in the arts because nobody cares about it. There's a full-time position at Con Edison or some kind of post office. There's no full-time position in arts. You have to get started to get started. You can't have, never have a full-time career if you never get started. There's no difference, it's, but there's no full-time position in the arts. That's why you see people still working at 80 and 90 years old. I'm a, I'm a typical of Cicely Tyson and, 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 and Betty White. I mean, Betty White and Cicely, they didn't do anything until the early 70s. Betty White was on all of those shows, you know, Lou Grant and Mary Grant. Cicely was on Eastern, you know what I'm saying? There is no difference. It's not corporate. It is now it's becoming more corporate. It's called show business, the business of show. It's called show business, but it's not. It's, it's the business of show. Also, it's still show and it's still passion. And I don't ever want, to be so like financially secure and forget about things I don't believe in. Like a, a mutual friend has a play called Mirrors that I happen to see and I'm so, so impressed by it. It's off off Broadway. So I'm, and because I saw it, I'm like, I didn't see it like, oh, well, this will never go. I'm just, I'm just making it take one step at a time. Cause like if I need like $500, and I don't have it, I'll start with the first 50 and work your way up. You know, don't look at the $500. Look at the first 50. Mm, I love that. Last question. 
where can people find out more about you? They can Google my ass. Just Google me, okay? I am Irene Gandy. That's it. Don't be trying to call me and all that. I'm on the Google, okay? If you want to get to me with serious concerns, call Ethan, and Ethan will get to me. We'll, we'll, we'll talk through it. And I'm on Instagram. I am Irene Gandy. And I hope I've helped somebody be authentic and take risks. And it's not for everybody. You know, this business is not for everybody. I'll leave you with this. Don't have the answer before the question or the solution before the problem. And there's no such thing as failure. You just have to find another way to do it. Thank you so much. I am honored that you took the time and that you agreed to do this. I really appreciate it. I'm saying I had fun. I was like, I'm not doing this. I tried to cancel five times in my head. I'm like, what are you doing? And like, see, and that's the one thing I'm going to leave you with. What if I've never did it? When you say, what if, what if it's wonderful? I would say, oh my God, I can't answer all these questions. And what if I hadn't done it? What fun, what fun have I missed? What I would have missed all this fun. Thank you so much. That was our interview with Lady Irene Gandy. My takeaways were take action, as that will help you figure things out. Purpose is a better first step than money, because money or producing without purpose is, well, pointless. And finally, be sure to save something early on and consistently. Thank you to Irene for sharing her time and energy, and thank you to all the people who convinced Irene to join us today. I had a blast, and I hope you, the listeners, benefited from the conversation as much as I did. Remember to tune in live on May 5th for the Artistic Finance 6K to find out what $6,000 of investments we are going to make. This is real money we're putting up, and by we, I mean me. This is my retirement and investment money, so I'm hoping for a good outcome. To vote on what we will purchase, become a patron to access the poll or comment your suggestions. Join before May 5th to access early releases and extended interviews for $3 before that level goes away. And if we sign up 50 patrons by May 5th, you will continue getting weekly interviews. Join up at patreon.com artisticfinance. You just might find a new tribe with us. For details on our live broadcast on May 5th, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, listen to our 6K bonus episode or visit our website. If you become a patron, I love you. If you help fund the $6,000 of investments or share this show with a friend, I love you. If you do none of those things, I still love you. Everyone I've met who listens to this show has turned out to be a wonderful person. And in that sense, you are not an exception. Go out and take the energy Irene shared with us and pass it along to the world. That's it for today. Until next time, break a leg. Thank you for listening to Artistic Finance. Find more information on our website, artisticfinance.com. Please subscribe to our podcast and please leave a rating and review. Artistic Finance is produced in New York City by Nicole and Ethan Steimel. Producing consultant Anne Nygren-Doherty. Graphics and website by Josh Cutler. Music by Chong Liu.